You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. With me this morning is David Buick, who's a market commentator with Aquis Exchange. And David sent a tweet out this morning, which was expressing concern about the condition of his prime minister, and that's Boris Johnson, of course, going into intensive care. And David, I was struck by how it had struck you. And I found myself watching television late last night, as I do, because I always watch these Trump press conferences with a good deal of horror. But um, the the, the news of, of Mr. Johnson going into, Prime Minister Johnson going into intensive Care. I didn't realise how deeply it would affect me. I mean, despite the fact that I haven't agreed with a lot of his policies and many of his statements, I thought to myself, well, you know, I am British after all, and he is my Prime Minister, so I'm feeling a little bit edgy. Did you feel the same way? Very much so. Lindsay, I mean, he's not, he's Marmite, there's no question of any doubt about it, but regardless of political persuasion, and bearing in mind that the country, right or wrong, decided that out of Europe was the best way, he was the only man in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland who could have achieved what he achieved. He is an extremely charismatic person. He is full of energy. He is gets very frustrated if he doesn't get his own way quickly. And he will be like a caged tiger before going across the bridge, the Westminster Bridge to St. Thomas's Hospital, where obviously he is in a distressed state um, because normally you don't go into intensive care unless you have some problems with breathing. Uh, He's a very, very fit individual, and he's very tough. And if anybody's going to pull through this with flying colours, it's going to be him, Um, for the simple reason that he has uh, the resolve of a man. I've only met him a couple of times, but when you meet him, the charisma comes out of every single pore. And providing his immune system is up to it, he's going to be fine. And we are all very nervous because he understands how to to, to build a team. He is very much what I would describe as the Herbert von Karen, the conductor. But he has given responsibilities to four or five very key individuals to do their job. And when they're in, and in his absence, there's no question that the Chancellor Rishi Sunak has got a huge gargantuan task on his hand, which is to get billions of pounds out to people quickly, which is proving very, very difficult from a logistical point of view. He's got, obviously, Michael Gove, um, who's got his responsibilities as the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, and who's obviously his main job is getting us out of uh, the European Union through Brexit. And, of course, uh, his Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, who, to all intents and purposes, will stand in as the pro tem uh, Prime Minister with his duties uh, until such time that Boris Johnson returns. I mean, you cannot rely on one person, even though he is the, how can I put it, the litmus test of the whole government. You have to put in a team that works if somebody's not going to be their pro tem. I quite like the way that Dominic Raab has, has sort of stepped up a level because he looked prime ministerial when I saw him at a press conference. I mean, he's, he's obviously been thrust into this role unexpectedly, but I thought he acquitted himself rather well last night. Well, you've got to look at his background. He's a lawyer. Um, he was, everybody said, oh, he's got no experience. Trust me, he has. He'd eight years in the Foreign Office as a lawyer advising the Foreign Secretary and people at a very senior level. So he knows how government works. And he is extremely confident. Some would say overconfident. But you'd rather have it that way. I just thought last night when he spoke to Laura Kunzberg, the BBC's a political editor, that he 
looked slightly nervous when she was asking him how Boris was. Yes. Uh, in, in thing, and, uh, not I, not I so much nervous as concerned, sorry to interrupt you. He looks yep. concerned, and I thought, maybe he knows something. I saw that look in his eye as well, and I thought, yep. maybe he knows something that we don't. Um, but anyway, uh, expand your theory, if you would. And, you know, he again, he's not everybody's bag, but he's uh, hugely confident. He, he believes passionately in what he's doing. Um, I'm, I, I get the impression talking to people, um, and frankly, to be honest with you, Lindsay, I only know people in low places, but they, <laughs> they tell me that he commands respect and he is a very hard taskmaster and he will be relentless in his quest to deliver um, Boris Johnson's will and his mandate and his wishes during this very troubled time in the course of the, probably the next month, I would think, because I don't think you recover from this sort of situation within five minutes. I think the recovery could be quick in terms of he's going to be okay, but to actually being fit and proper to do the job of work it could, could be two or three weeks. That's a very neat metaphor for what's going on in the economy, the world economy, the British economy. It doesn't matter where you are. We're all going to have to recover. And I wonder if we are going to recover to the same extent that we were enjoying before. In other words, for example, if you're a bar or a restaurant, uh, will you reopen? Do you have the resources to reopen? Will you employ the same number of people that you used to employ? Or will it be a slow grind to the upside as we regain our confidence? and also reattain the lifestyle and the habits that we had before. I mean, for example, you, David, you, you're a gregarious character. You have had your life turned upside down. Will you go back to that life? Yeah, because I suppose in a, in, a, in a modest way that I'm a street fighter and I've never hit, really hit the big time, but I've always loved the city of London. I've loved its atmosphere. I love what it stands for. I've seen so many things go through from uh, the euro-dollar market in the 70s to the abolition of, uh, of uh, exchange controls on sterling by uh, Lady Thatcher in 1980, which was the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life, yes. to the um, Big Bang in 1986, to the financial crisis in 2008. None of them come anywhere near this. This is as close as we'll get to 1929. And we will see, in my humble opinion, drops in GDP by the second quarter, by, say, the end of June, beginning of July, of between minus 15% and minus 30%, 3.0% in various parts of the world. Can we recover? Of course we can. What is in the hands of people which they don't accept yet, they're pretty much, they're 95% there, is the quicker we get back to work. So if we got back to work at the end of June, we'll recover quickly, not as quickly as people think. But bars and restaurants, they'll all start employing people again. People haven't been spending money because a lot of them haven't been given any money until hopefully Chancellor Sunak steps up to the plate. And I'm pretty certain he will because he'll have to. Um, but, you know, there is the uh, wherewithal. Um, people will have, you know, uh, some capital left. Hopefully people have been unbelievably selfless in giving donations, cutting back on their remunerations, um, that kind of thing, because people know the chips are down, it's all hands to the pump. But if people start to think, this doesn't affect me, I'm immune to this stuff, and keep going outside in this beautiful weather, then we have got a problem. Because the quicker we get back to work, the quicker the world will recover. If people abuse their privilege, 
and think they're immune to this. And I do feel sorry for people who live in, uh, you know, the 75th floor of a high-rise with no garden, with three children aged six, four, and two, a nightmare. But nonetheless, it's a nightmare that everybody, with help, has to get through. Because if we're still in some kind of lockdown in December of this year, the world has a serious problem. The world does have a serious problem. We will recover, yes, but it's the nature of the recovery that fascinates and concerns me at the same time. For example, David Buick, you're, you're, as I said before, you're a gregarious character. You like the company of other people. You like to uh, dig around in low places with low people <laughs> sometimes. Uh, and maybe you go to lunch four or five times a week. Maybe you go to dinner twice a week. Maybe you go for a drink three times a week at a pub at the old Bank of England in, is it Fleet Street? or the Strand, I can't remember where it is. But anyway, the fact is you're out and about. Will you go back to those old habits? And will the UK's population go back to, the, to their old habits? Or will suddenly we and other countries' populations become populations of savers rather than spenders? I mean, these are fascinating questions that we need to assess now in order to project the, our financial futures, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I do, Lindsay, but old habits die hard. I, I am an outgoing person. But the one thing that I've noticed been in lockdown for the last three weeks is how much I've enjoyed uh, the mobile phone and Zoom <laughs> and WhatsApp and uh, FaceTime and all these things to talk to friends, to have Zoom dinners. So you go and say, right, we're going to have a curry. And they go and get theirs. And we all sit down at the table at 7 o'clock or whatever it is. And you switch the Zoom on. And you, you carry on. You, we, have to, we have to sort of compromise. And am I going to stop going out to lunch? No. Am I going to stop going out to dinner? No. But am I going to do it as much as I did in the past? No. And other things that are going to change. I think one of the things that's changed us enormously in the last three weeks is these huge offices in the, in the centre of London or Manchester or Birmingham or New York or Philadelphia or Johannesburg or Cape Town. You don't need them. Yeah. Because we've all proved that providing we've got offices for board meetings and general management meetings, people work really well from home. Why? Because they've had to. And, you know, yeah. I can see the price of commercial property cascading downhill in the next five years. I don't think it would be the case for uh, domestic property. But you don't need to be spending thousands of pounds or rands, you know, for you know, billions of square feet just because it's judicious and it's the sort of thing to show that I'm a big company and that I'm to be reckoned with. Those days are gone. And I think you're going to find the people uh, who've got good uh, CEOs and finance directors are going to become even more important because you want to be saving every nickel and dime you can so that you can rebuild the respective economies of the world run. Do you think that the world's stock markets have fully discounted the worst case scenario that you sketched out earlier on? In other words, GDP falling between 15 and 30% in the short and medium term? Or do you think there is more to come, David? Well, your listeners need to know, and I'm sure I'm teaching my grandmother to suck eggs, and if I am, they've got to forgive me. But 80% or 75% of the trade that is going on in the market now is algorithm, program trading, or short term trading. And there's a lot of people manipulating markets out there, up and down. And there is a feeling we had one from one of the respectable people uh, in JP Morgan uh, two weeks ago thought that would like at the end of the tunnel. I thought it was very precipitous. The market went up in New York 21% over three days, 16.5% here in London. It didn't come all the way back again, but came back a fair bit. And then yesterday, 
we have the same feeling. You've got a chap called Bill Ackman who works for Pershing Capital, who's an extremely adroit uh, investor who knows exactly how many beans make four. And he's somebody like, you know, Henry Kaufman was 30 years ago when he opens his mouth and says, I'm feeling optimistic. Everybody dies into the market and buys stock. And then you get somebody like Jamie Diamond from JP Morgan again yesterday saying, I think we could be going into the United States. It's a huge recession. Now, all I can say to you is uh, I wish I had the clairvoyance to be able to give advice. I, a, I'm not allowed to. B, I haven't a clue. All I will say to you is that if we look at a graph from the 12th of February, the dates which the World Health Authority, who I'm still furious with for not calling this pandemic beforehand in a really serious way, and if they did, why didn't the world's leaders listen to it? If you look at a graph, it'll be look like a child scribbling on a bit of paper. It's going to be up and down dramatically between now and whenever we go back to work. And in my humble opinion... I'm very happy that the market has recovered half what it lost there because I'm a pensioner and people who've got pensions really need the market to recover. But do I believe this is a real market? To be honest with you, Lindsay, I haven't got a clue. Okay, I haven't got a clue. You're very honest and you're very forthright and uh, we appreciate that. David, what I'd appreciate now is an assessment of how you're feeling. You're having these Zoom curries and all sorts of other things that I don't quite understand. But you are in apparently an age group that is at risk. Are you healthy? Well, apart from I'm three stone overweight and... But you've uh, always been three stone overweight. Yeah, yeah, but I'm fat and squat. I'm as happy as Larry and I've got a wonderful wife and a great family. And do you know what? Above everything else, Lindsay, I'm terrified. So I'm going to behave. I'm going to behave myself. Yes, I'm also terrified, David. Thank you so much for enlightening us this morning. That's David Brick from Aquis Exchange speaking to us from London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.